All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum Stay on target. Maximum Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the show where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel, my co-host is Robert, and we're going to talk about Man of Steel today. This is episode 46 can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 46. Uh, if you like what we do here, do check us out at actualanarchy.com slash tipjar. You can find out all the ways to support us. We've got Amazon links, Liberty Classroom links, readit4.me, and also our trusty Patreon link, and that's at patreon.com slash readrothbard. And uh, Robert and I were just on a show with Liberty Weekly yesterday talking about the death of Hollywood. That can be found at libertyweekly.net slash 37. But let's say hello to Robert. How are you, my man? Hello, Robert. Robert's doing all right. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit of juice going on this episode, but I know we're a couple of old men and we're tired, so we'll do the best we can. Although, I am excited to do this episode. Um, This is one I've been wanting to do for a while. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch, and it's got a lot of it's got a lot of interesting points that I thought that are maybe worth a little bit of analysis. So, hopefully, Daniel will feel the same. We'll find out. We will find out. We will find out. But first, before we do, let's find out uh, what you had for dinner last night. Uh, what? Well, what we're supposed to have, oh. we're supposed to have banter, you know, like let let the people in on our lives here. Oh, okay, so people want to know. Uh, my cousin recently moved into the valley. He moved about a mile away from me, and since he's moving in, the only other person around is his seventy-one-year-old father, who's getting a little decrepit. So me, young buck, you know, strong, like a horse, you know, like a bull, uh, gets called on to do the heavy lifting, you know, concrete furniture, steel concrete furniture, the normal things. And so I was over there doing that for a little bit, and then they asked me to stick around, and uh, his wife cooked up a bunch of these really nice fresh spring rolls and some chicken nuggets. So that's what I had. <laughs> you, you like that story? Is that, is that what you wanted? I've had okay, those, good. I've, I've had those spring rolls. Yeah, they're quite they're quite tasty. They were, they were nice and fresh. Um, in fact, these were the ones that were being considered to being sold at the the barter fair. And I was thinking you could probably get at least like a dollar, dollar fifty for each one, especially if you sold them in you know like five or six in a pack for like ten bucks. Like the average meal there was between nine and twelve dollars. So, you know, you probably just throw some noodles on top of it or something and put $10 pressing on it and call it good. So you're doing like, all right. Is this like those food truck um, competition shows that you see? Are there like a bunch of competing food trucks and they're all trying to like score the most points or get the most people? Oh, uh, you're definitely trying to get the most people. Uh, there wasn't a ton of variety there. Like a lot of it was just normal fair food, like brats, elephant ears, um, you know, crap like that, burgers. And there was some interesting one-off stuff, but I don't know. 
I didn't stick around too long. It wasn't, it's not my jam. Uh, the last time I went to a fair was the Puyallup Fair, which is kind of a big deal in this state, doing the Puyallup. It's like the, probably the biggest fair in the state, I want to say. And even that, I was almost bored to tears. I just, what do you do? You walk around and you look at stuff that you don't want, and then you, you could pay some exorbitant price for some terrible food, or you could ride some rides that you are not really very good. It, it, I don't know. I don't see the appeal. The only thing that's cool about the fair is the animals and sometimes the musical performances, in my opinion, because they can get some pretty good acts. Well, back when we were kids, I, I enjoyed the rides and whatnot, you know. Those death traps? The zipper? They spin you around in the rust buckets? Yeah, yeah, banging you against the sharp metal edges of, of shit. <laughs> I just remember wanting them to be over. If you ever go in, like, the zipper or the one where you get on and the centrifugal force spins you around, and you're just like, this is not fun. This is just vomit-inducing. Why am I doing this? Yeah, and you see all the creaky machinery, and, and it's like just old, bald tires, like, moving everything. Yeah, and then you see the uh, the screws, like, rattling. You're like, those need to be tightened down a little bit. What's going on? Yeah, they're all rusty. <laughs> rusty <Yeah>. and loose. <laughs> yeah, rusty and loose. It's on the sign, out front. But, I mean, the fair food, it's kind of fun, right? The elephant ears and, and hot dogs and whatnot. Okay, you want to pay you want to pay nine bucks for an elephant ear? Go ahead, <laughs> knock yourself out. It's it's some dough covered with sugar and cinnamon. Yeah, well, see what what you got there is you've got a geographic uh, uh, monopoly, right? It's sort of like stadium food. Yeah, because, because there's no other competition permitted in that space. If you want food, you're paying you know nine dollars for an elephant ear, or if you're like at a football game, it's I don't even know, like $12 for a beer these days. Yeah, you're paying convenience prices. Yeah. Or, you can or, bitch about it, but it, it is. You know, it's completely voluntary. You can buy it or not buy it. It's not a, you know. Yeah, like you know uh, the movie theater thing, uh, that came up with the hurricanes in, in Florida and Texas where people were whining about price gouging. And with movie they, theaters? No, it, it, so places were charging more for a case of water than they otherwise would have because of the hurricane. And oh, people should. were all upset about it. Because like, oh, it's price gouging. You know, it's illegal. It's immoral. It's unethical. Whatever. And people pointed yeah. out, well, it's still cheaper than buying a bottle of water at a movie theater. Like, what are you complaining about? <laughs> you know? Oh, and, yeah. And so they're like, that's a, that's a false analogy, blah, blah, blah. You know, bullshit. But what they don't seem to understand is, you know, there's the joke... Uh, you go into a store and the case of water is like 50 bucks. You're like, no, shit, I fucked it up. Uh, <laughs> a joke? Yeah, it's, I ruined it, damn it. Oh, well. I'll, I'll, sort, of, I'll sort of tell it it won't be funny. So Are you talking about the, um, the guy across the street? He doesn't yeah. have any water, and his, his water is 10 bucks a case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the guy goes, yeah, well, when I don't have any water, I only charge 8 bucks a case. That's right. That's the joke. Ah, yeah. saved me. You salvaged me. <laughs> you got it. It's a good joke. Yeah, price gouging is ridiculous. Um, the people that complain about it just don't understand economics. It, it's, it serves all kinds of positive functions. It encourages entrepreneurs to allocate resources where they're needed most. It encourages people to be thrifty and to only purchase as much as they need. And it disencourages, you know, people from hoarding it. 
so that more people can get it. Uh, there's all kinds of, I mean, if you were to, I mean, would you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have that $30 case of water sitting there on the shelf or would you rather there not be any water there to buy at all? Right, with a price tag that says $5. <laughs> right. But an empty it's shelf. Like that's, not, that's not doing anybody any good. Well, it did the first, you know, couple of people who bought, you know, eight cases each. Uh, it did them some good, right? And then they're probably well, slinging it for five dollars a bottle themselves, right? Which right. perfectly fine, right? They're probably actually bringing it deeper into the needed areas. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, they had a higher time preference. They invested. They took the entrepreneurial risk to buy it. But, I mean, the point is is that price gouging laws just make everything worse. And the yeah. people that whine about it being immoral just don't know, just don't understand market mechanisms. Because you want more water in that area. And what's going to encourage people to bring it in? High prices. No, man, government and um, the fields. And that that will bring the water in for no monetary benefit. Yeah, that'll that's what it'll get people out of bed at two in the morning to go drive two, three hundred miles away. They pick up water and drive it back, four bucks a case. Altruism, man, and uh, price controls. It's it's all it's all uh, in the benevolent hands of of the government. It's totally fine. Uh, it's so frustrating when you know the truth, you know the right answer, and you keep hearing these just dumb, dumb, tired old responses. Yeah, it's like people don't want to learn the stuff, and even when you point it out for them very simply, very logically, they just ignore it, they don't understand it, or they'll try to get you on some technicality of how you said a certain word. It's really it's really bizarre how people who really don't understand how all this works tend to argue with you, and, and they try to trip you up on something and, and then treat that as if it refutes everything you've said. Yep. Welcome to arguing on the internet and arguing with the left and arguing with people who are emotionally invested in their dumb arguments. You know. Yeah. So I want to wind this back to the food thing because uh, one of our buddies who runs a website, he posts a lot of food. Uh, he, he's a baker, and he posts a lot of stuff on like Twitter, pictures of things that he's created. And he's put together a website that has all of his recipes and whatnot. And it's actually kind of cool. It's called the Culinary Libertarian. And uh -huh. it's at culinarylibertarian.com. And uh, I, I don't know if you're too much into the whole baking thing, Robert, but it might be something to check out. He's got a bunch of recipes on there, baking and savory and, and also just general articles on libertarianism itself. And uh, he is wrote a paid an, ad. No, man, this is this is a buddy of mine I've been chatting with. He's. He's um, been writing some articles, and uh, we've put them on our site. So one of them is called um, It's True, I Swear, is the article that he wrote for us. Uh, and he was also telling me about a recipe he just put up for chocolate donuts. So I might have my wife make that. Trying to get me fat? Yeah, man, big time. Come on over, especially if you uh, head back to the West Side. We'll be making these yeah. donuts from Culinary Libertarian. <laughs> Are they magic donuts? Just regular donuts. Well, I don't think they're going to be like hippie festival donuts, like like you're probably wanting, but they'll be good. All right. This guy's a multi generation baker, I think. So yeah, you know, he's got some secret family recipes going on. Cool. I dig it. I like friends. I like people that do stuff and write the stuff for the site. That's fabulous. Yeah, we got a few dozen writers and a few dozen friends, so <laughs> it works out. 
So anyway, uh, let's get talking about this movie. Okay. Shall we? Do we want to? Yeah, do let's do it. El Google Descriptione. Yeah, read it, Daniel. Read it. Read it to us. Read it into my ear holes. Soft and hard and wet. All righty. Here we go. Google Description, Man of Steel. Came out in 2013. It's a fantasy science fiction film, 2 hours and 23 minutes, 7.1 on IMDb, 55% Rotten Tomatoes, and 87% of Google users like it. Google seems to, Google users seem to have like zero discernment. It's always the highest number. No Even on shitty, shithouse movies, it's way above like 60 or 70%. I don't understand it. Yeah, it seems really bizarre. Um, I had trouble watching this movie, but we'll get into it. But here, here's, okay, the, we'll here's the description. Okay. W- with the imminent destruction of Krypton, their home planet, Jor-El, played by Russell Crowe, and his wife seek to preserve their race by sending their infant son to Earth. The child's spacecraft lands at the farm of Jonathan and Martha, played by Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. Uh, they're the Kents, uh, who name him Clark and raise him as their own son. Though his extraordinary abilities have led to the adult Clark, played by Henry Cavill, living on the fringe of society, he finds he must become a hero to save those he loves from a dire threat. And that's the end. That's it. Yeah, that doesn't really say much, so I can't get too much wrong. Yeah. But I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear anything wrong in there. So, box office, $668 million U.S. dollars, uh, budget of 225, and it's part of a, a film series, Justice League film series, DC Comics. So you got your Batmans and your Wonder Womans kind of all intermixing here. This is competing with the Marvel Universe, right? Yeah, this is essentially the first movie in that series. If you because technically the Nolan movies, Nolan Batmans don't count, and uh, Superman Returns also does not count. So uh, okay. Snyder is kind of like the captain of the DC EU ship or DC CU. I don't know. It's not supposed to be called that, but who cares? Yeah, so Nolan was, uh, I think, a producer on this one, so he was involved. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's a big deal. Now, I have a question for you. It's called Man of Steel, and it's sort of a reboot, right? It goes back and forth, shifting in time pretty frequently. Uh, yeah. And they don't really use the term Superman, except in a sort of throwaway line by one of the military guys. Is that yep. purposeful? Is it because of some... You know, were they not supposed to use the term? I don't think so. I think it was more a storytelling idea of the writer to be like, well, they wouldn't just call himself Superman, and it wouldn't be like, look up in the sky, it's a plane, it's a Superman. They didn't want to do anything so hokey. So Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I think it's more like that. They Especially did with turning the S into the hope thing. Yeah, that seemed weird. <laughs> But whatever, you know, it's an alien yeah. language. What do I know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it changes the story quite a bit. Not not quite a bit, I guess. I mean, all they really had was Krypton blowing up, and then, you know, he's sent to Earth as a baby. But he's always traditionally just been, you know, the has to stand for Superman. Right, or super, right. Or whatever. You didn't need. But I guess, you know, whatever. You're, you're telling your own story. It's fine. I, I, I didn't really have a big problem with it. It felt like they were trying to break from the cartoony, comic booky version a little. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the um, uh, Superman Returns was kind of an extension, supposedly an extension or continuation of the Donner Superman, Superman 1, 2, 3. Okay. Or at least so, 1, 2. 
what, three and four technically never happened, supposedly. <laughs> the, the, there's a whitewash of that. What was the, the Richard one? Pryor and, the Quest for Peace or whatever? The Quest for Peace is the one where he fights that um, nuclear man on the moon. And, yeah, the, the special effects are horrific, and the budget just fell away, and they didn't, yeah, they're just trying to cash in on the dying franchise at that point. But the first yeah. two movies are actually pretty decent, done by Richard Donner. Yeah, I'm going to so say this then, right yeah. now. Christopher Reeve is, is Superman for me. I grew up on Still it. Still he is, huh? Yeah, for sure. And then Lex Luthor, the Gene Hackman version, super good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Richard Pryor. You kind of like the, the, the hokey. Pryor well, is a funny dude, sure. It's the 80s, man. Everything's going to be a little bit hokey. Like, movies got visceral and intense in the 70s and goofy as hell in the 80s. Yeah, there's a lot of goofiness going on. Even the like action movies, like your Lethal Weapons and whatnot, there's still pretty tongue-in-cheek kind of a jokey stuff going on. I mean, me, Die Hard was pretty hard and intense, but Aliens and those sort of things. But yeah, you're right. There are a lot of goofiness going on in the 80s. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, Christopher Reeve is very much the... And if you watch... I don't know if you've watched Superman Returns lately, but that actor, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, he went on to do... He plays, like, um, the Atom in Legends of Tomorrow and a bunch of other roles, whatever. Um, He actually does a fantastic Christopher Reeve imitation when he's playing Clark Kent in that movie. He's not such a great Superman, but he does a fantastic... Uh, Christopher Eve imitation. It's it's uncanny, kind of. In a, it, he does it kind of his own take on it, but uh, he has that kind of like goofy, innocent farm boy type look, and you're just like, oh, man, he nailed it, love it, love it. Whereas That's in this cool. movie, Henry Cavill is like, I don't know, does he display any emotion ever? I mean, there's one <laughs> scene that I can remember in the movie, at the very end when he screams a little bit, but other than that, he's like the stone faced guy the whole time. Uh, yeah. He struck yeah. me as a super. Either they wrote him as a completely uninteresting slab of whatever, or he's just not an actor. He just looks like you know a big, muscly, tall, good-looking Superman guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it reminds me of the Wonder Woman one. Uh, I just saw that with my wife and the Gal Gadot. Is that how you say her name? The French mm-hmm. girl who played her. I mean, she's, she's an attractive. A Israeli. Oh, Israeli. Okay, she's an attractive woman, uh, mm-hmm. but not a super strong actress, actor. You know. Yeah, I wasn't super impressed with that for sure. But yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if, if the writers of these comic book movies are really focusing on exploring character, or they're just you know moving. It's just plot oriented, and they're just trying to get to the next action scene because that's the spectacle that people want and. Right, sort of what we were talking about with Patrick, right, on uh, the Death of Hollywood thing. Um, I think that's their episode 37, libertyweekly.net slash 37. But we were talking about <clears throat> how they almost have to go towards these blockbusters that don't have a whole lot of um, intricacy <laughs> or nuance in them any longer because it, it needs to be more for a worldwide style audience. And so it needs to just kind of get to the next smash them up. Yeah, it needs to play to the lowest common denominator so that everybody, despite the language barriers and whatever, can understand what's happening. Because a lot of things are going to be lost in translation and blah, 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 whatever. But everybody everybody speaks action. Everybody can understand what's happening when somebody punches somebody. So, yeah, you lose the, the emotional character development and you lose, you know, witty little witticisms and funny character moments and really, you know, just really personality type stuff. 
At least that's what I see. I mean, maybe there are some movies and they're still good when you get like a Peter Quill and a Guardians of the Galaxy where he's really kind of charactering it up. He's got a lot of personality. And in that, those movies, they have their issues, especially part two. I have a lot of issues. And I screamed about that on one episode. But they do get the personality right. I mean, you, you just want to hang out with these characters. And, and you get none of that in this movie or in any of these, um, like Batman versus Superman, any of these. Hopefully Justice League is going to turn it around, but I don't have high hopes for it because it's another Zack Snyder vehicle. And it's another team-based movie. So you know even if they wanted to do a bunch of character stuff, they don't have enough screen time to really give you a lot of character stuff for each of the characters. Right, too many, so, too many players. Right. So, and in, in, even in this movie, you just got the, basically this movie is all about Zod and Superman. I mean, Russell Crowe's in it, Lois Lane's in it, but it's really kind of the relationship between Zod and Superman. And for me, in my money, I thought Zod was way more interesting. I thought he had the better lines. He actually had facial expressions. <laughs> He actually, I understood what his motivation was and what he wanted. He wanted something in this movie and he was trying to get it. That was, that's like super important when you need a character to actually want something and to try to achieve something. And uh, so, yeah, that, I, I was rooting for Zod almost the entire time until the point at which he wanted to kill the entire human race and then that made zero sense. But we can get into why that made zero sense to me anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that makes zero sense in this movie. <laughs> Which uh, yeah, we, we can yeah he gets so we, get into well he gets this um, this world engine thing and he just happens to be on Earth because you know Cal Superman has the codex he's the codex it's the history or the entire blueprint of how to rebirth all of Kryptonians right he's got everybody's DNA inside him or whatever right and and Cal and and Zod finds it and he's like oh well Cal's got it oh well I'll just pull it out of him and then at the same time I'll also just Kill everybody on this planet. Why? Why would you have to do that? It's just a matter of convenience. Well, I just happen to be on this planet, and I don't give a shit about all these people that are living here. Who cares? It seems like you could have gone to just any old planet. Just go over to Mars or Venus. Nobody on it. I mean, if you got this terraforming engine thing, it doesn't matter where you do it. it just, and then there's even a, a line of dialogue between um, Russell Crowe's ghost character and Zod, and Zod was basically saying, well, I'm impatient. I just want to do it now. He's been locked in the Phantom Zone for 20-some years, but here he is on Earth, and he's just like, well, I just need it now. It seemed like a, a matter of conflict for convenience as opposed to a real thing. Well, I'll, I'll start addressing this, but then can we get into just an overall plot summary, just to kind of set the uh, Okay. Okay, I know. Daniel, go ahead. Yeah. All right, so my question to you is, I think that there was some limitation on what they could do with the world engine because... They were over-extracting on Krypton and destabilizing the planet. They had a bunch of outposts, and they all went defunct. They, they no longer got supported by uh, the home planet. So it didn't appear as if they could just take this world engine anywhere and do whatever they wanted with it. So I think they needed to have something that was already somewhat habitable but could be manipulated into the environment that the Kryptonians would, um, would support their, you know, their life forms, right? Because... If they were on Earth without the without their little breathing masks that wrap around their heads, they there was too much sensory information bombarding them, and they were weaker on Earth, or they were supposed to be, right? That was the the argument. And this didn't make any sense, right? Uh, if Superman, yeah, that was that was the conversation with with uh, Jor-El, and he was saying, well, you could just integrate with this society, and he's like, well, I don't want to take the time to learn how to hone my senses 
so that I can just live amongst these humans. And then, like, half an hour later, he takes off his helmet thing, and he's like, I am a warrior. I trained my whole life to hone my senses. I don't need this stuff. I can focus as it is. But that didn't take long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> half an hour. But, so <laughs> Half an hour of movie time. Here's my beef with it, though. So everyone knows that Superman got his powers from absorbing the energy of Earth's yellow sun. That's how he yes. became super strong and powerful. Even Jarrell mentions this. He yes. says, oh, you're stronger than I ever imagined uh, because you got used to, you know, you were raised here, you got used to being in this environment, and you're super strong now. Way more than I yeah. expected. So right. how the hell do these people who were in frozen isolation for 27 years wind up on Earth and are super fucking strong too? Yeah, it's never explained. Um, in the comic books, it's just kind of waved away. Like in this movie... It only hits young Cal when he's, what, seven or eight years old, something like that. I don't know, he's in like elementary school. And then all of a sudden he can see people's skeletons and hear stuff miles and miles away, and he's just overwhelmed. But in comic books, and apparently in this movie, you just got to be around Earth's yellow sun for you know, a couple hours, apparently. Yeah, you absorb all the energy, you get super strong. Uh, yeah, even though they're wearing these suits, um, and it's 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 said over and over, you know, in multiple different comic books and whatever, that it's, it's basically the direct contact with the Earth's rays to Superman's skin is, what he, is how he absorbs it. So you would think there would be some kind of a scene, which they didn't do, where inside their spaceship, maybe the Kryptonians are like in some kind of a sunroom and they take off their suits and they're just kind of chilling. <laughs> maybe they got some, they got like a Mai Tai and they got some sunglasses and they open up the windows and they're just kind of like doing some sunbathing. Yeah, working it would on their make tan. a whole lot more sense. It would make a whole lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, so do you want to give the uh, quick overview and then I have a few questions for you. Okay, so this is the plot of the movie. We know Krypton dies. All right, so in this version, Jor-El and Zod are kind of like old buddies who agree on Zod is like the leader of the defense forces or something, something like the military general of Krypton and. Jor-El is like the head scientist. And they both agree that Krypton is doomed, but they both had different ideas about what should be done. Jor-El is like, well, I'm going to, my first, the firstborn, natural-born child of Krypton in however many years, I'm going to send him off to this Earth place. And we have the technology to send one Kryptonian, but not like everybody for some reason. And we can send, even though we can put um, Zod and everybody else in these black dildo things and launch them into the negative zone, you could think we could just make a bunch of dildos for everybody. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, that's not the story of Superman lore, so you have to have everybody die. So they all die, but what Jor-El has done is he has hidden the information of all the DNA of all the Kryptonians because they're all built, they're all birthed like Matrix style, and this is a very collectivistic type society, where you are kind of given a role at birth. Like we're going to make a scientist, and we're going to make this baby smart, and we're going to make this other baby here like a military person, and we're going to make him super strong and maybe not super smart. Right? Yeah, they like pre-assign all their roles. Exactly. And uh, Jor-El is like rebelling against this. He's like, this is wrong, because what happens when someone is born? and wants, doesn't want to do what he has been assigned to do. So Superman represents freedom and individuality, and Zod represents the, the collectivism and the force 
Right, the authoritarian. So God is set up, exactly. He's the authoritarian guy. And he's also, I think he's a pretty good villain. I mean, for being in a pretty bad movie, he's actually a strong villain because, yes, he's a collectivist and he's an authoritarian, but he has a good motive. He's very much the Machiavellian, I want to do this good thing, save Krypton, save all the people of Krypton. And whatever the means, I don't care. doesn't matter. The ends justify the means. I'm going to, doesn't matter. What gets, where I have issues with um, the plot is when um, Zod obviously has this really strong in-group preference for Kryptonians. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and kill all these humans and then make Krypton. And so all Krypton is going to be saved. Because I, why would I care about these humans? I mean, I just met them. I don't know any of them. So whatever. But then he gets upset at Cal, Superman, having the exact same in-group preference for humans. Why would Cal know or give a shit about Krypton other than, you know, oh, I have some ancestors, they were from Krypton, blah, blah, blah. But I've grown up my whole life among these humans, and I feel like I'm kind of one of them. They've treated me like I'm one of them. I have an angry preference for humans. But Zod's like, how dare you? How dare you choose humanity over your own people? He doesn't realize that Cal's own people are actually humans at this point. It seemed like a really dumb thing. Like, all of a sudden, Zod's like this smart, good kind of character, but then he's got this dumb oversight. Anyway, it, it gave me, it had an issue for me for that. It sounds like the uh, Uncle Tom argument, or the, uh, what was it in, um, oh, we did the movie, Quentin Tarantino. Django? Django, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the Sam Jackson character. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. House Negro. Okay, so, uh, Clark gets sent, he gets launched off, uh, Krypton blows up, but not before Zod is sent to this Phantom Zone, and apparently they came up with some kind of technology and they got themselves out, they escaped, and it's just kind of explained away. And so then Cal, when he's on Earth, he's like digging around and he finds this old Kryptonian ship that they had sent out 20,000 years ago to do like, you know, reconnaissance and searching and whatnot. And apparently, when he activates it, it sends out this distress signal. And that's what the Kryptonians use to find him. And right off the bat, they're, like, looking for Cal. Because they think, you know, they know this is the guy that's got the codex somehow, somewhere. It's in the ship, something. And we're going to get it, and we're going to save Krypton. And that's essentially the plot of the movie. They, they kind of explain away, oh, we, by the way, we also found some world engine. It, it's some old outpost. And they don't explain how it works, but... Like you were saying, maybe there are some requirements that it needs in order to function properly. Maybe. I don't know. I would have liked some kind of wording of explanation of how it works or why it only works on Earth would have been way better. But um, let's, yeah, uh, I do have a couple of interesting notes. Do you have some points you want to make first, though? Yeah, so far. I mean, one of my notes was about the collectivism and the pre-assigning. So it was a very uh, structured society that would actually yield a lot of chaos, right? And, yeah, a and lot it, of unhappiness and whatnot. Yeah, and it eliminates choice. It's a very collectivized totalitarian regime, and I don't think it would function uh, very well at all. And the There's a lot of central planning. Yeah, yeah, a lot of central planning that would fail. Yeah, and they had this like high council that was making decisions, and and apparently they were over extracting something, some resource from the core, right? That was destabilizing the planet, and that was going to make it get destroyed. And I feel like that that was a little bit of a uh, a watermelon message in this film. The you know man, the 
garbage can just destroying the earth so that you know they talked about that in in this movie and have krypton blow up oh you think that was like an environmental message that we were supposed to take home and feel bad about yeah yeah call your congressman <laughs> I didn't quite get that, but I could see you seeing that. I mean, I bet you, I, if I probably watch it again, I could probably read into it, something like that, yeah. Uh, there's always some sort of environmental message when, but I mean, I, I give them a bit of a pass because, they, I mean, they have to have Krypton blow up. That's the whole story of Superman. So they got to have some kind of reason why it blows up, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, with Krypton blowing up, that's what released Zod and the other coup d'etat members from their cryo freeze because whatever oh, right. was, whatever was uh, holding them for their sentence uh, was like the spell was broken when Krypton blew up for whatever reason and then they spent the rest of the 25, 27 years however long going to the various outposts trying to find survivors or equipment and they kept finding you know a bunch of dead people who had been cut off from Krypton and that's where they found the world engine, one functioning world engine. Yes. But it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? If they had that technology, why would they have allowed Krypton to blow up? Why would they have all these outposts all around the, the universe and not use the world engine on some other viable planet and turn it into Krypton 2? It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's beside the point. Well, and they all have, they have all these ships. They've got all these spaceships. Why, why, why just put Cal in one little baby spaceship and send him off. Yeah, and he, it's the lead scientist, right? Jarrell is the lead scientist. He should have access yeah. to any of the equipment. <laughs> yeah, not only does he, yeah, not only does Jarrell, and he's not just some peon, you're right. He he has access to apparently all kinds of, I mean, he could probably access all kinds of spaceships. They never explain that. Uh, Zod absolutely has access to spaceships. He could have been ferrying people off the planet. If everybody knows, or, you know, these people know that it's going to blow up, it's going to end badly, why aren't they evacuating? Seems like a normal thing. Uh, maybe they at least could have had, oh, no, we don't believe you. You're just a sky-is-falling kind of a guy. You've, you know, warned us about this way too many times. We don't believe you. You were wrong in the past. It's not going to happen again. And then, oh, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, get out. Oh, no, it's too late. Okay, we're, we're flying away, but, oh, we're caught in the blast or something like that. That would have been a little more believable for me. But, yeah, I mean, they got all this technology, and they got all these spaceships, and they only managed to save this one little kid. It seemed, it seems far-fetched. I mean, I know that, you know, for story purposes, only Clark and Zod and um, Kara, which is Supergirl, can survive, but whatever. It, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense if you got all this advanced technology. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Now, one final thing on the Krypton stuff. I mean, there's like these flying dragons, and it's almost a uh, this is Sparta kind of civilization. And well, we're talking to Zack Snyder here. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of his thing, right? Like, that's how you know it's Zack Snyder. He's got to have this kinetic uh, Matrix style CGI shifting the camera around uh, with these gladiatorial type, you know, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of his his mo, his giveaway. It's his jam, dude. You know, this is what he digs. He's just what he digs on. He doesn't he doesn't really dig on um, writing stories and coming up with new ideas. He really kind of digs on things that he likes and doing cool visuals. So, you know, apparently it's working for him. Yeah, he's doing something right. I mean, he's still employed, still making movies. Yeah, just making hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I don't think he's the best, but I, it's hard to argue with success sometimes. All right, so here's so do my, you wanna, oh, go ahead. Well, 
All right, so here's one question. Why do they punch fight? It has no effect. Like, why are they doing this in the whole movie? The Kryptonians fighting each other, just punching each other? Yeah, and why do the military people keep shooting at them when it does nothing? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, other than the fact that you need to have all this destruction and whatever to, in order to have spectacle. Um, I was struck by the notion that since, I mean, all really, the, if, if, if you take the, the idea that the world engine will work on any planet, and it's just Zod's indifference to humanity that causes him to, and impatience to use it on Earth, the fact that he doesn't care about the humans, it just makes me think, well, just, just introduce him to some human friends. <laughs> and... Uh, hang out with some humans and have a good time, have a couple of beers with them, you know? I mean, find out that they're not that bad. I mean, and then maybe he would be okay with, you know, trying to kill, trying to set it up on some other planet, and then you could always be friends. I mean, it, the movie sets Zod up as this kind of single-minded guy, but he doesn't, he's not really set up as a super evil guy. So, I mean, he's like having intelligent conversations with Jor-El and kind of trying to convince Cal to join his side and, yeah, there's a bunch of punching and stuff that makes no sense. But the fact that they use the um, the sensory overload, I thought was way better than having like kryptonite trotted out for the umpteenth time. I really did appreciate that because you know, it's done. It's, it's kryptonite's just been so done. I really would rather have what we got in this movie than not. Yeah. So, so the before Amy we Adams, do all that, oh, go ahead. Well, the Amy Adams character talks about when the world engine is tr- uh, what do you call it? Trans. Uh terraforming terraforming the earth making it more like krypton she says to clark that uh if you go down there to destroy that thing isn't it gonna make you weak because it's making it more like krypton down there yeah which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's not krypton's atmosphere that makes kryptonians weak it's their red sun that doesn't make them stronger it's the yellow sun of earth that does it but i understand from a storytelling standpoint that they wanted to have some kind of a you know, a threat to Superman. Because, so, here's my little rant about tension that I often do in movies like this. There's no, like you said, there's no tension between a bunch of Kryptonians punching each other because they can't really hurt each other. But they can destroy property and hurt humans. Problem is, nobody really seems to give a fuck about the humans in this movie. Uh, Cal cares about his mother, and he cares about Lois. But other than that, he's like, hey, we're going to fight in the middle of downtown uh, Smallville? Let's do it. Bring it on. Oh, maybe... You guys, maybe you should get behind, you know, in, inside inside your houses. But, I mean, if I come flying through your house, it's not going to do any good. I'm just going to murder you. Yeah, there I'm is a moment through. where it's like helping people get off main the main drag and into, like, shops and restaurants. It's like, oh, come on, go in this, this store, close, lock the door. <laughs> We're going to Yeah, fight. like, that's going to do any good. Yeah, what would have been done way much more good, and I know this got a lot of criticism at the time, was be like, well, we're in this tiny little town surrounded by barren farmland. Maybe, just maybe, we could fight out where there's no threat to property or people. But the problem with that is then you can't have your Sears product placement and your IHOP product placement. 7-Eleven. And your, what, your 7-Eleven product placement. And all your dumb property damage that looks good on screen. But, um, yeah, that, especially this fight, that fight and then the fight at the end where he's just blowing up Metropolis, this movie got super panned because, yeah, Superman just doesn't give a shit about all the property damage and all the people that are dying as these buildings are collapsing and blowing up. Yeah, and it seemed like he was just punching people into buildings. I mean, that was kind of like what 
the whole action sequence really was, or or throwing them into like a petroleum-filled train car and blowing up the trains. But yeah, you know, I mean, effect, this guy right? it didn't harm them. So what's the point? Yeah, if this guy was a Barbie doll, he would be property damage Barbie. He was just, he was all about it. He was just loving it. He was if if I can find something to blow up, even though this is my hometown. Are you kidding me? He gives no shits about his hometown. These are people he knows. These are people he grows up with. Supposedly, he cares about them. But he's like, oh, I'm just going to destroy your business. And yeah, he didn't start the fight, but come on. You can fly. You can move. It's not like anybody's forcing you to be right there on Main Street. Anyway, real dumb. So anyway, um, the tension is there to be like, you know, oh, no, these people's property and these people could get killed. Look at these scared, frightened human beings that are in the face of all this carnage. But like I said, I mean, we just, they don't care about the humans, so we don't care about the humans. And we don't really get any time with the humans to care about them. So it's just all one giant big spectacle and big punch-up noise thing that makes no sense. And you're just like, well, it looks cool. I really like the way that the, um, especially the Kryptonian girl lady, the way she kind of zipped around. I mean, that looked really cool. I enjoyed that. The way she like flew through the air and jumped onto that warthog and just tore it up. I mean, <laughs> it yeah, it was almost ass. like... Uh... Like a, a mini, you know, warp kind of thing. Like she's zip, zip. Yeah. And be in this other spot and, you know, take a few shots from the military people to no effect. And then just zip, you know, and, and punch them. Right. But it, um, it almost seems like why even bother punching the military guys if them shooting you does nothing? Like they're not harming you. They're not a threat to you. <laughs> why are you bothering even punching them? Yeah. I know. There's this uh, real dumb scene with like some recurring sergeant guy who's flying in the helicopter and oh, yeah, the crashes SPU the helicopter. Guy? Yeah, and then he like puts a unloads a clip in her face and it clearly does zero damage. And he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna grab this knife now. Like that's gonna do something." <laughs> Whatever. I uh, let's instead of talking about this right now, we can maybe come back to this because there's a lot of uh, a fair amount. But I, I have some notes earlier in the movie when Clark is just a little kid. Because a lot of this movie is based about, around the idea that Clark's dad was afraid of revealing him to the world. And Clark not revealing himself to the world for fear of the reaction by the humans. So, uh, there's a scene where Clark's in this bus and there's a storm or something like that. And anyway, the bus goes over this bridge and it starts sinking in the water. And... He saves all these kids' lives. And um, the parents of at least one of the kids come over to the Kent's house, and they're like, that kid, it's a miracle what happened. He's amazing. And, of course, the Kent's are all denying it. Like, no, you didn't see what you really thought you saw. Clark's just a normal kid. And then Clark's like, well, what, do you want me to not save these kids? And his dad's like, yeah, maybe. And I thought that was a really kind of an interesting thing because we've got this belief because – when they found Clark initially in the field, they were afraid that the government was going to come and grab him. And that's essentially why they constantly hid him, because that's exactly what would happen. I think that's a completely realistic fear. Not that they could really hurt the kid, clearly, but that they could grab him and indoctrinate him. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with Superman lore, but in Dark Knight Returns, Superman is basically just a stooge in a tool of the Reagan administration that takes place in the 80s. But he basically just goes around doing whatever they want. And then even in this movie, at the end of the very end of the movie, he's like, I was born in Kansas. I'm totally pro-U.S. government. Yeah. 
So it's not it's not and a stretch to think that the, scraps, the government could just come right. Scraps so I think it's, he's like you don't need to keep an eye on me. <laughs> I'm totally a good boy. I I don't speak out against the government. Blah blah blah. I mean, he does say that you know it's going to be on my terms and I'm a good guy. Blah blah blah. But the fact that you would think that the U.S. military are and there's one scene where the government is like or the military is like we don't know if we can trust this alien. And it's like well. Listen, motherfucker, we don't know if we can trust you. I mean, clearly you've exhibited I – mean, you, you, you kidnapped a reporter at machine gun point. You're clearly not anybody that can be trusted. So I thought that was interesting that um, – the only problem I really had with it was when he let his dad die really stupidly. It didn't make a whole lot of shit sense at all. It seemed like just kind of arbitrary that, well, I let my dad die because I believe he believed that um, – let me look at my notes here. He let him well, die. His dad, Kevin Costner, said, no, don't, don't save me. Don't reveal that you have super abilities to save me from this tornado because I'm saving the dog. Yes. Um, and then Clark says, I'm, I let my father die because I trusted him that revealing myself would be bad. And I'm okay generally with you know, characters making mistakes in movies and then learning from them. I'm not sure exactly what the lesson here is, though, because eventually he does reveal himself when, you know, Zod calls him out. And everybody reacts just fine. There's no massive freak out. All we get is the U.S. military response that they don't trust him. But all his fears that, you know, humanity would just lose their shit or whatever, completely unfounded. So that was a bit muddled to me. That was not any kind of a clear narrative making sense for motivation sort of a thing. Well, there was the story that was written at the Daily Planet, and she leaked it, leaked it to a blog to not cause hysteria or something because there's an alien living among us. When Lois goes to, you know, I want to publish this, you know, story or else I'm out of here. Perry's like, you can't leave. You have a contract. You can't quit. The movie doesn't seem to understand what a contract is or Perry White doesn't understand what a contract is because, well, <laughs> just because you have a contract doesn't mean you're a slave. All legitimate contracts would have some sort of a you know escape clause or a non-compliance clause, or what to do in in case you know the, a non-performance clause. So it's real dumb. But then later on, he totally flips it around, and um, I forget what exactly what he says, but he's like, "You need to do this, or else you're fired." And what is it? Which is it? Can you fire somebody, or do they have a contract? Can somebody quit, or do they have a contract? What is it, Perry? Yeah, what, what, screenwriting. what is it, Morpheus? Yeah, are, are contracts binding and we can't we can't break them ever? Or or can you just fire me whenever you want, but I can't quit whenever I want? What what's going on here? Yeah, you could read into that like the whole leftist view of labor, like the employer has all the power, and so she's just an individual. She needs to be in a union to protect her from her evil boss. Yeah, but the idea that you can't quit what that's slavery. Well, what are you gonna do? I mean, what if I what if I just don't come into work? What are you, are you gonna? Are you gonna send some goons to come bring me to my desk and well, then what, make me move the, my fingers? Well, that's what the government <laughs> did. They went and got her. It's true, they did. They kidnapped her. Stuck guns in her face. Yeah, that was yeah. that was total bullshit. I, a prime example of them overstepping their bounds. And why use machine guns? Was she, was she a threat to them? Right. Yeah, she's just running away from them. What? Why? Like, I, I you know that, but it didn't strike me as false, right? I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, they would never do that. But, you know, they would do that. They would uh, definitely the FBI do that. Or whatever. They, they, they do that all the time. Yeah, if she they had a dog. Stick, 
If she had a dog, yeah, oh, yeah. a dog. Yeah, so. Oh, that dog would have been dead, yeah, absolutely. Other than the fact that you can't show a dog dying in a movie, they would have. It would be dead. Yeah, it's not allowed in movies, but, you know, at a kid's birthday party, it's fine. Yeah, and you can kill a million people. It doesn't matter. Statistics. You can't say naughty words or short boobs. No crotches. Sex is bad. Murder's good. So they were yes. pretending as if it, it, was, it was like a conspiracy theory or like an urban legend. And there were all these stories about crazy events happening like the oil rig fire and uh, there was the when he was working in the diner and some guy was trying to pick a fight with him and then he wrapped his uh, his semi truck or you know he, he skewered it on some telephone poles. Yeah, which seemed weird, right? Like you're freaking Superman. You're working at a diner. Some guy why? insults you. There's a beer can at your head. <laughs> yeah. Why, why would you destroy the guy's truck? Yeah, or or you know just I don't know. Remove him physically. Remove him from the restaurant for being an asshole. Like, why not do that? Yeah, yeah. why not be the bouncer guy and be like, hey, I'm sorry, this is private property, you're not wanted here, get out. Yeah, and why destroy his, I don't even know how much his semi-truck costs, but it's probably over a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, probably quite easily. You can get a really nice one for probably a couple hundred grand. Yeah, so that seems like an overstep. I mean, remove the guy, don't destroy his livelihood. I mean, yeah, he's an asshole. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, but yeah, clearly that that's his entire livelihood. I mean, that's, He's, he now has no way to make a living, and he's probably in debt up to his eyeballs, probably from the purchase of that truck. Yeah. Now, why was Superman? Why was Clark Kent like such an outcast at this point? Like, why was he doing these odd jobs and then leaving them mysteriously after saving somebody's life? Uh, to be the to make sure he wasn't discovered for being having superpowers. Because you know, if he saves somebody, then now he's got to move on. He's like the Incredible Hulk back in the okay. old TV show. He would he would get he'd save somebody from something, and then you know he's got to hit the road because he can't stay in one place for too long, draw too much heat. But I do appreciate that um, Lois is actually intelligent in this movie. She figures out who he is, tracks him down, figures it out. Unlike the Lois Lane of comic books, who you know took like forty, fifty years to figure it out, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And probably you know, only after he like told her or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Now, not to jump too much to, to the end here, but when he does the whole Daily Planet get-up at the end... Yeah. Puts the glasses on. Oh, no one knows who I am. I mean, he yeah, was just like the worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to, to think that that's not going to get noticed is just weird. I mean, I guess that's like the standard Superman trope, right? It is, but the standard Superman trope existed in a world without, like, the Internet and without, like, you know, telephoto lenses and that kind of business. I mean, in this world, you can't imagine that there wouldn't be all kinds of pictures taken of him from all kinds of different angles, from at least, especially even the military. I mean, they were, they were in that room just sitting there being photographed. So those pictures would exist, and the military would probably leak them, or somebody would do it, and he'd be plastered all over the Internet. Instantly, and everybody would be super intimately known with his features and what he looked like. But yeah, it's a trope. Yeah, you gotta whatever. Now, I do want to call out um, the unnecessary and weird thing that Zod does. So Zod appears at the planet, and he's like, "I know Superman's here. I know Cal Cal El is here, and I know he's a you know super strong because I know about the Yellow Sun and whatever." What he decides to do is essentially terrorize the planet and hold the planet for ransom until 
Superman shows himself. I mean, generally, in the villain world, the idea is to, like, cause a disturbance, and then Superman would have to show up and stop you. I think that's what happens in Superman 2. And I, I mean, I, I guess they didn't want to do that storyline because it's been done, but I think I kind of prefer that. It's, it's just more of a direct, guaranteed way of getting Superman to show up as opposed to, I mean, what were they trying to do? Were they trying to threaten and kind of turn the whole planet against him? And kind of play off the whole mistrust angle, I suppose. Well, it was Maybe almost more interesting as a screenwriter. I don't know. It was almost the Dark Knight thing that the Joker did, right? Reveal Wait. yourself, Bruce Wayne, or I'm going to kill this reporter guy. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then he got um, the one dude who knew who Superman or who Batman was. He said, "All right, kill that guy, and then I'll." pay you a million dollars or whatever he said. I forget. But it was the that smarmy uh, accountant or lawyer guy who was going to ransom Batman. Yes, yes. And Lucius was like, so <laughs> you think that he's the most powerful dude who goes around kicking people's asses and you want to, your, your plan is to blackmail him? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, that was, a, that was a cute line. Okay, so in this movie though, this next thing I want to talk about, I want to lay out why it makes no sense. And I, I'm, I'm going to try and get you to somehow make sense of it, if you can, if you dare. So Superman gives himself up. And for some reason, he turns himself into the United States government, of all things. When really, all he has to do is just fly up to the Zod ship and be like, here I am. But instead of doing that, he goes to this base, military base out in the desert somewhere. And Lois Lane is brought there also for plot reasons, I guess. No real reason. I mean, she's kidnapped because they go like, we know, she knows who he is. Oh, we need to grab her then. Okay. I don't know why she needs to come to this base. But anyway, so then it comes down Zod, comes down Zod in the ship, or at least, you know, one of the Kryptonians. And the dumbest thing in the world happens. So I forget the name of the Kryptonian lady, but she's like, okay, come on, Kal-El, you're coming with us. And he's like, okay. And then she's like, and that lady too. Why? Why? And she's like, Zod wants her. Why? Why it all? The, she does nothing. Once she gets up on that ship, the only thing she does is help Superman escape. She's purely there to move the plot along and to help Superman get out of there. Zod does nothing with her. Nobody talks to her. Immediately, she's like talks to the Russell Crowe character, the ghost guy, and she you know pulls some MacGyver shit, whatever, with Russell Crowe's help and kills a bunch of Kryptonians and helps Superman escape. But... Her her being there is purely for plot reasons. There's no reason why Zod would have had Lois come up there. Now, if you can come up with a reason, I want to hear it. Well, uh, she had been on the ship that was discovered under the 20,000 years of ice. And so he did not know that, yes. Mm-hmm. She had interacted with the droid machine thing. That, that Zod did not know, yes. And then wasn't there some other ghost on that ship that there's yeah the russell crowe ghost yeah oh it was just the russell crowe ghost on there on the old ship yep in the arctic yep yeah okay yeah i really can't think of a reason why zod would have wanted lois lane up there unless he suspected that he could use her as leverage to get superman to talk or to do whatever because maybe he suspected he cared about this person if that was the case, he would have gotten his mother because he knows that he's Clark Kent 
and he was raised by Martha Kent because he goes to Martha Kent after after Superman escapes, he goes right down to her. And he's like, "Where's the Codex?" There's a truck on like, her Don't house. threaten my mom, and then he punch up. Yeah, there's a truck on her house. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, that that annoyed me. It really did. I mean, I understand Lois is always inexplicably at the center of every action scene in a Superman movie, for because you know she's a reporter and she has to be in the middle of it. You never see any other reporters. You just see Lois Lane almost dying like a, t- a thousand times, and Superman's always there to escape her at the last save her at the last second. But uh, having her, having Zod specifically, I mean, it's one thing for maybe Lois to, I don't know, maybe insult somebody. And I, I just think you can come up with a better reason to get her on board that ship than Zod wants you. And then you get up there and Zod does literally zero things with her being there. Yeah, they throw her in this room, lock her in there, but it's got this control panel access thing. Like, okay, that seems like a dumb room to put her in. It's a really good prison to put her in. Super good. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Superman, what do you, okay, at the very end, uh, Zod is like, I won't quit. You have to kill me or one of us is going to have to die, either you or me. And then they're in this like Grand Central Station thing, and he's got his eye beams, and he's about to kill some human beings. And Superman's like, okay, I'm going to break your neck then. First of all, this is like the first time he shows any kind of emotion. And second of all, it's real dumb. From my perspective, like if I was the Superman in that instance, for, he doesn't have this no-kill policy. I mean, he's been flying around through these buildings killing millions of people. I mean, he doesn't give a shit. And then when he's really, he, for the first time, he's actually acting in the defense of another. Zod's about to laser brain a couple of humans, and he kills him for it. Like, I'm saving these other humans. He's coming to their self-defense. I, I think I would have been totally fine with him killing Zod. At that point, I know it was a big sticking point for a lot of comic book fans because Superman doesn't kill. But for me, I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't have been trying to kill people. <laughs> so, yeah, you're going to get whacked. I thought that was a totally justifiable use of uh, force in that instance. But it struck me as very hollow because, I mean, these guys were just blowing up Metropolis and didn't give two shits. Well, yeah, and they were just trying to kill each other, right, in this fighting, right? Yeah. But to no, to no effect. So why... Why can you throw someone into a train that explodes? Why can you shoot them with a missile that explodes? Why can you do all of this other stuff, hit them with a big I-beam, steel beam, and that has no effect? But then snapping their neck kills them. Um, They're like the weak point, and, and they didn't hit it with the missile? Well, I think the point is that, yeah, Kryptonian bodies are stronger than steel and all those other things you just listed. I mean, in the comic books, Superman is the most ridiculously, retardedly overpowered character. He's faster than anybody else. He's invincible. And so, yeah, if you hit him with a steel beam, his body is actually far denser or more powerful. He's, his body is, like, surrounded in, like, this force field or something like that to the point at which, yeah, it does nothing to him. And I, I, could, I gave that a pass so that, like, you know, two Kryptonians actually fighting, you know, all those strengths and powers are negated. So if you, like, do some jiu-jitsu moves where you're, like, going to snap his neck... I could actually see that happening because Superman is like supremely you know, powerful. They're both like supremely powerful. Right, so but I, they, should, they shouldn't be equally powerful, right? Zod should be far weaker because he hasn't been in Earth's Yellow Sun for nearly as long as Superman. But Right. But Absolutely. Absolutely. But you got to have a villain that's stronger or equal to the hero or else there's yeah. no tension. Now, why was there never the line, kneel before Zod? Because... 
that's a catchy line from the original, <laughs> the original stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. Uh, um, I bet you it would have still played out really well if they had done it, but they didn't. I don't know why not, but they did. Um, one thing scientifically bugged me. I mean, lots of scientific things bugged me in this movie. But the uh, Kryptonian lady does the whole um, you're caring about, you know, your compassion makes you weak. She does a, they're, they're having a little bit of an argument, like, you know what makes you weak? You, your compassion for these people. We, our evolution has bred out any kind of um, morality because morality is a weakness. And then she, gives, she does this real dumb line where she says evolution always wins as if having no morality is, makes you more fit. But how would, that, how would that do that? Having no morality would engender you to being a psychopath. Right, and, and not procreate, not <laughs> raise young, not continue the the yeah. generations. I mean, who would want to? Who would want to? You know, get it on with psychopaths, and I mean, you're not going to, you know, group together and bonds and family and pair bonds, and uh, how do they not see the the benefits of mutual cooperation? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, the fittest survive, not necessarily evolution of whatever. But anyway, I thought that was a little bit weird. Um, what else is in this dumb movie? Um, I think, uh, oh, good sound design. I like the sound design in this movie. This is back in the time when there was a whole lot of whomps and it wasn't super overdone yet. Um, I enjoyed it. Still re-watching it, I was like, yeah, I like the sounds in this. Um, yeah, that's, that's all the notes I got. We've gone over everything I have. Okay. Oh, I kind of surprised. So, I thought there was gonna be more more stuff. There's that's all the stuff. There's like a 20 minute fight scene at the end, where nothing really happens except a bunch of buildings fall down. Yeah. So let's a bunch talk of about empty, empty office buildings. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of things regarding the fight scene. Okay. So mm-hmm. Zod is trying to get the World Engine to turn the planet into a more Krypton friendly place. So then apparently he can take the millions of genetic code or genetic like little seeds to repopulate the earth with krypton and that is embedded in superman's like bloodstream right that's what jor-el had done rather than putting it into the little metal codex thing he actually put it within the genetic makeup of superman yes but he needs a ship and the world engine to do it and so because superman has destroyed that he essentially has killed the potential millions of Krypton, Kryptonites, Kryptonians, Kryptonians. Yeah, but that ring, that ring falls to me. I mean, you've got a bunch of people on your mothership back up at top, right? I mean, this, they didn't blow up the whole the big ship, right? They just blew up like one of their little ships. They put this whatever machine on this little ship. Isn't that what happened? No, I think the the world engine was on the Indian Ocean side, and then the exact opposite side of the Earth was the metropolis, and that's where they put their big ship. And then they also had the little ship flying around shooting at shooting down the uh, the military jets, which was stupid, right? So you got these military jets firing missiles to no effect and, and going haywire and blowing up people in the streets. Yeah. The threat is the cargo plane. Yeah. But they don't shoot the cargo plane, they shoot the other jets. Well, Lois Lane is in there. With and the then at the last possible thing. moment, Zod is like, target that plane yeah. to, the, to the computer. Yeah, real dumb line. And it's real slow at targeting the plane. <laughs> and then it misses anyway because Superman comes along. Yeah, and he's about to fire. You know, it's like Top Gun. Doo, 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 doo. And yeah. then Superman just 
in the nick of time, gets back from blowing up the world engine to throw off the shot. Yeah, and, okay, so when Zod complains that, okay, you blew up my ship, now everything's lost. Wrong. You still have Superman. You still have all that genetic information, so you don't necessarily have, you know, this convenience of having this machine that's ready to go and to do it. But you know the general idea of what needs to happen. There's assuming, you know, technology that exists or you have scientists that can help you figure out what needs to be built. All you got to do is make friends with Superman and be like, yo, Superman, I just need a little bit of your blood, buddy. And then I'll go off to wherever. I mean, I've already mastered my senses, so I could live here on Earth peacefully. It's not a big deal. Right. I'm sorry about the whole world engine trying to kill everybody thing. But, you know, I just want to, you know, rebuild my people here. So he's like, just give me a little bit of blood and I'll be cool. And then, you know, give me some time and some scientists and we'll figure it out. That's still a thing. It's not lost when your ship blows up. Yeah, it didn't make but. a lot of sense that he just got super mad, and and then he's like, all right, now we're going to fight to the death. All is yeah. lost, and now we're going to fight to the death. Yeah, if, gonna... if all really was lost, I suppose, then whatever, but it made really... It, it, the movie started, had some positive things. I liked the villain. I didn't like the acting. I, I thought that uh, Cavill and um, Amy Adams had, like, zero chemistry. I don't know why they keep putting those two together. They have zero chemistry. I mean, I don't know if Camel's Cavill is just like a like acting against a paper bag or something. But man, nothing, nothing, no sparks, no nothing. Um, I mean, maybe because he has no personality. I, I guess Adams. You know, I generally like her. She knows what she's doing. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's just given nothing to do. I don't. I really don't know. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about real quick the world engine getting blown blowed up. So he, he goes down there, it. yeah, he he goes down there, and there's, like, this Matrix-style metal snake tentacles that come out to try to, like, snap him up, and it grabs him, and it holds him, and he's, like, weak from it. You know, you can barely fly. He's, like, coughing, whatever. And then all of a sudden, he just gets this determined look on his face and flies into the thing with his face, and it blows up. I think he also screams, so, you know, it's just like he's, like, super angry or excited or desperate or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so it didn't make sense to me how he overcame. I mean, maybe it's supposed to nod back to what Jarrell had told him, like, oh, you're far stronger than I ever thought, and you have so much more potential, just keep pushing your limits. So maybe it was supposed to be him getting super determined to overcome his limits and get over the fact that this Krypton device is making him weak and just mind over matter kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But why does smashing it with his face blow it up? <laughs> Who knows, man? That part was really weak. I thought it was bad and dumb. I thought you could have done a whole lot more with it. I mean, yeah. you, the heart of your movie really is Cal versus Zod. Uh, the whole world engine thing just seemed like a distraction side thing that wasn't really necessary. But, yeah. All right, so here's the other thing. The final battle in Metropolis. Why are there still people in some of these places? Like, the, the world engine had been doing the gravity thing, the pulsing thing, knocking cars down, smashing stuff, buildings, whatnot, for a little while. Why have these people not dispersed? Why are there still people in Grand Central Station, you know, a half an hour into this fight for Zod to threaten with his laser eyes? And why do those people corner themselves in that area and not just move away? <laughs> Because the script. <laughs> yeah, it really annoys me when people do dumb things, too. 
to satisfy the script. I, I hate it when people act just stupid. I mean, it's one thing to be frightened and terrified and like, oh my God, this is an amazing situation that I don't know how to deal with. It's one thing to do that. But it's another to have people just do the boneheaded, stupid things when, you know, your first instinct should be just, you know, run away. And that's a perfectly good instinct. And it's perfectly applicable here. Why didn't you just run away? Uh, who knows? You got to have some kind of cannon fodder, though, I guess, if you're writing a thing and you need to have, you know, service plot devices. It's when those things, I mean, every movie has plot devices, but it's just how well you can integrate them with the story so they don't seem out of place and stick out to you. And yeah, in this movie, I would say that they stuck out a fair amount because you're like, well, you, you thought to ask, hey, why, why are those people there? Why isn't everybody gone? I mean, it does take some time to evacuate a uh, city. Absolutely. The city of Metropolis is size. It's huge. It takes a long time. You know, imagine, you know, clogged streets, but we don't get any of that. We don't see any of the clogged people. We see empty office buildings and buildings collapsing and falling. You assume that there's probably still people getting crushed and mashed and smashed up, but we don't see that. We see some people getting murdered by the world engine when that thing turns on, but yeah. Anyway, it's real bad. It's real bad. And he, I know they got a lot of shit for this, that, that, that part of the movie, rightfully so. Yeah, so how I'm does telling you, movie... man, Zack Snyder is not the best writer. And this wasn't written by Zack Snyder, but you know he had probably had a lot of input into the story. Right. So how does this movie fit into the current iteration of the universe? We started talking about that real briefly. Uh, so this is sort of the initial one in the reboot of the DC kind of universe? Yeah, and this is the very first movie. And then, you know, Batman versus Superman was the second movie. Same, same dude, which, right? The Henry Cavill guy? Henry Cavill, Zack Snyder, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot. Yeah. Um, uh, they, I think they really just tried to do too much in that movie. Um, they really needed to take their time, like the Marvel way. They really, Marvel, you know, you really set up each individual character before they threw them together in one big movie. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. established Iron Man, and you had established Ant-Man, and you had established Spider-Man, and... You know, the all Hulk, these other right? characters. Right, and the Hulk and everybody else, and Thor, before you threw them together in this Avengers team. And, uh, yeah, and Captain America and all that stuff. But in this, in DC, they're just like, well, we made one Superman movie. Now we're doing Batman vs. Superman, and we're going to have Doomsday. We're going to have Lex Luthor. We're going to have Wonder Woman. We're going to have Aquaman. We're going to have The Flash. We're going to have Cyborg. And we're going to have the death of Superman. <laughs> and we're doing all this crap. <laughs> and it's going to be a shit show. And so, I, yeah, I think you know, it's just too much. I think you need to tell smaller character-based movies and really get people invested in the characters before you can throw them together in some kind of big, dumb action movie where they don't really have a lot of time for character development. That's my two cents. I mean, I know they're doing really well financially, so it's hard to argue with success, but they're not good movies. Yeah, and you know, to the point that we made with uh, the Liberty Weekly Boys, they don't necessarily need to be good to be profitable. No, sure don't. I mean, Batman vs Superman made a billion, and that that thing's a dumpster fire. Yeah, and probably Justice League is going to make more if it's any good. But yeah, I don't know. I'd do it differently if it was my money, but it's not my money. So you know, whatever. Yeah, so what, one other final question regarding this. I mean, I know it's Superman and Superman has a cape, but what purpose does the cape serve in this movie? <laughs> yeah, what has it ever served? Uh, uh, serves to whip around and look cool, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. They don't explain it. He just shows up wearing the suit in one scene. He's just like, yep, check me out, yo. Um, I guess they didn't want to do any kind of origin story with the suit other than to say, well, this is the Kryptonian symbol for hope, and this is my family sigil, and blah, blah, blah. Well, didn't he find this on um, on that ship that was in the ice? The suit was there? Yeah, he found it somewhere. Oh, I guess I missed that part. If that's, the, what, if that's true, then okay, I guess. I guess Kryptonian technology allows for just suits to automatically fit you and have a cape, I guess. I, I don't know. You didn't see any capes back on Krypton. <laughs> All right, Robert. So we beat the crap out of this movie. I think I already know your rating, but give me your final rating and review, and then we'll, we'll wind this one down, maybe do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive. All right, so there are some good things. The CGI looks good, but I've done rants against CGI in the past, and I stand by it. When the character doesn't have anything to react to, they look like some stone-faced douche, and we're supposed to be impressed, but the characters on the movie screen aren't impressed, and then we're just bored because they look bored. And that, there's a lot of that in this movie. Um, a lot of amazing, amazing CGI and effects are happening on screen, all these explosions and whatnot, but Superman's just this stone-faced dude. And maybe that's Cavill's poor acting. Maybe that's that lack of Zack Snyder not directing properly and telling him to react a certain way. Maybe that's just him not having anything to react to. But there's a lot of that in this movie where it's a lot of whiz-bang action that means absolutely nothing and you have no emotional investment. There's no tension. Um, but it looks cool. I really like the way that the uh, Kryptonian lady looked. She's whipping around. That's cool. Um, Russell Crowe is a strong actor with what Lily had. He actually did some good stuff. Um, yeah, Kevin Costner is a dad. He's, you know, decent, I guess, pretty good. He's, I don't know, he's not, he's not a bad actor. But, yeah, Cavill, Cavill just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, yeah, he, he's a good-looking guy, and he looks like Superman. He's built like Superman. He's super buff. But, man, he doesn't, he doesn't act at all. I, I would rather, I'd ten times rather have Christopher Reeve or a Christopher Reeve type guy in this role. And maybe that's not Zack Snyder's vision. He wants more of a stoic, super strong buff guy as opposed to a character actor. But why would you do that? Why wouldn't you have a guy with personality that is struggling with, you know, being Superman or struggling with whatever so that we can identify and emotionally connect with this guy? I, I would much rather have that than some stoic guy that looks really impressive. Anyway. Um, yeah, and then for all the reasons that we talked about of why the movie just fails, um, Zod was pretty good. He's probably my favorite part of the movie, except for when his motivations fail towards the end. So, yeah, uh, this movie's black and red, although if you just want to watch it and turn your brain off, there's some pretty, pretty cool action and special effects, but it means nothing, and it's a big, big, <laughs> a big shit show. Um... Yeah, so that's that's my review of The Man of Steel. And uh, I'm not expecting m much out of the new Justice League movie. Hopefully it's decent. But um, Zack Snyder did famously uh, Watchmen and 300. He's good when he has strong source material to work from. He, those are basically just recreations of comic books, panel for panel for the most part. But when he has his own material to work off of, it suffers. I don't know if his, uh, I think it's Goyer is the guy who wrote it, or somebody, I forget exactly who, but um, I don't know. Not great. Daniel, take us home, baby. What did you think? Well, this is uh, a movie that you had brought up a while back, a few months ago, saying that you wanted to talk about this because it had some moral questions and 
and whatnot. And I feel like we addressed that in between just beating the crap out of it. Uh, yeah. I watched this with my wife, and she was like, I don't know what's going on. It doesn't make a lot of sense. There's shit blowing up over here and over there. So story-wise, it doesn't really bring much to the table. It it has just a lot of things moving things along to get to the next smash em up scene. But the smash em ups like we were saying, they don't mean anything. They don't do anything. They, they yeah, don't. I'm sorry to jump in, but what is... What did Cal learn in this movie? You know, what's his character development? What does any of it mean? What What is all this action doing, you know, for the character? You know? Nothing. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, to say that he's learning to embrace his superpowers in a more uh, outward way, like um, sort of coming out of the closet, if you will. <laughs> Cause he yeah, I mean, he, is, he goes from a recluse to a taking down government drone satellites or whatever, I guess. But it wasn't, yeah. he, it wasn't a decision by him, really. Not, I mean, he could have stayed hidden, I suppose, but he didn't you know, initiate showing himself to the world. It wasn't like he made this bold decision to be like, you know what, Dad? It's time for me to declare myself to the world. I'm out. I'm Superman. I'm proud. It's, it takes Zod to come out and threaten the planet in order for him to do it. He, he, it's a reactionary move as opposed to a, you know... A protagonist type actually protagoning. Yeah, yeah. So, for all these reasons and more, I'm going to go black and red, super black and red on this one. Yeah, baby, super black and red. I don't really uh, recommend people watch it unless they're a completionist and they want to have the whole DC universe, you know, laid out and and watch the subsequent movies and the new one that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot to this, and you know, I'll just throw in, we watched the Wonder Woman movie shortly after this, and it was kind of the same thing. Just so many smash em up things for no reason. She doesn't get hurt. Uh, there's so many unbelievable things that occur, like she goes across the um, the trench warfare where this division has been trapped for, like, months, and she just, like, bounds across, and they concentrate their fire only on her shield, yeah, that makes tons of sense. <laughs> I don't know. That uh, it's just a terrible movie, and <clears throat> I got it because people were saying it was so good, and even libertarian types were saying, "Oh, you know, I thought this would just be like an SJW, you know, girl power movie, and it was actually really good." No, no, it was not really good. It was a, an SJW superpower, super, you know, girl power movie. So I don't know what they were seeing. I'm not a fan of it. I don't even think we need to do a, an episode on it. It's, it's that bad. Well, all right. That's our review of Wonder Woman, everybody. <laughs> uh, Daniel, I, I do have to ask, is there a superhero comic book type movie that you do like? I mean, we've done Watchmen, but I want to say like in the, you know, in the Marvel world, is there is any that you do enjoy? Well, in the Marvel world, um, we haven't really talked a whole lot about many of them. We did touch on Civil War last year on the Reed Rothbard podcast. I thought that was pretty good, though. I'm sort of coming to the Marvel stuff out of order and without seeing a lot of the pre-rec mm -hmm. type stuff, so it's a little out of place. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I were to start at the beginning and devote the time and, and attention, then maybe I'd right. like it more. I yeah. did like okay. Fair enough. Nolan, for the most part, you know, uh, and I know it's DC, but the um, Batman Begins was pretty good, though on viewing it again in recent times, it really doesn't hold up. And then... Dark Knight is really good. Dark Knight Rises did not like. 
Right. Okay, so you would say probably Dark Knight, probably your favorite comic book movie then? Yeah, so far. I, I know you were a big fan of Deadpool, and I watched that, and eh, it's all right. <laughs> Deadpool's hilarious. So good. So good. story is pretty standard, but, oh, man, if you're a fan of the character, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, I don't know. Looking forward I'm, to the sequel of that. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe if I did get into the Marvel stuff a little bit better, then the Winter Soldier and the Civil War would be more meaningful. Right. Understandable. Yeah. Winter Soldier and Civil War are the two movies that are done by the um, the uh, Community Brothers. I forget their name, but they were doing the Community show along with Dan Harmon, who is a Ricky Morty fame. So a lot of a lot of talent came out of there. All right. Well, that that might be why it is the stuff that tends to stand out. So, yeah, black and red on, on this one for me, and black and red for you, and that's our review of Man of Steel. Yeah. can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 46. And uh, any final closing comments before we go into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, Robert? Uh, I just want to get people excited for um, my new shirt designs that are coming out soon. Um, I'm also doing a webcomic, and probably it's all going to be under one banner. It's looking right now that I'm going to be doing my own branding, my own solitary website, but I might be spreading spreading stuff out to other sites that uh, will be taking my stuff. But, um, yeah, just uh, look for that coming up. All right, very good, sir. And, and we'll definitely be posting that at actualanarchy.com, where this episode can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 46. If you like what we do, do uh, find ways to support us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash readrothbard, or other ways are listed on the tip jar page, actualanarchy.com slash tip jar. Amazon links, read it for me, Liberty Classroom, etc., all good stuff. Uh, we only promote things that we use ourselves and recommend. So uh, that's something that we'll stand by going forward. And uh, also do check out our appearance with Liberty Weekly, where we talked about Hollywood movies and SJWism and cultural Marxism and a whole bunch of other stuff for about an hour with those guys, or just one of them, actually. Uh, and that's libertyweekly.net slash 37. Uh, and with that, I think we're going to kick off into Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is bonus content available for our Patreon supporters of $5 a month or more. Uh, so we're going to get into that and uh, bid you adieu. Good night, everyone. Adios, muchachos. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do